Now, something that you might not know is that August is Organ Donor Month. And that is why we want to attract just a little bit more attention to this situation. Now, joining me on the line now is the longest living recipient of and heart and double lung transplant on the African continent. It is Tina B. Tina, welcome to KFM and thank you for making the time to chat to me this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. Good morning, everybody. Now, it's so interesting. I mean, this is it's Organ Donor Month. August is also Women's Month for us here in South Africa. And you being a woman, I mean, having gone through all of this, I mean, I just said it, the longest living recipient of a heart and double lung transplant on the African continent. Let's just back up a little bit in terms of your journey. What, what kind of led to this transplant? So I was born with a lot of things wrong. I was only diagnosed uh, at six months old. So, um, yeah, mum said I had a cold that wasn't getting better. Dad said that I was going for a normal six-month checkup. Um, But the long and the short of it is the doctor kept listening to my heart and he kept on turning me over and listening from the front and then the back and then the front and then the back and between the two of them like it was the longest GP visit they'd ever been to in their lives and they were starting to panic and eventually the GP said to to them there's something I don't like the sound of I'd like her to see a specialist and that's when the journey began Wow and how old were you when this sorry how old were you when the transplant took place I, I had just had my 30th birthday is that how long it took? That's how long it took. And, you know, when we saw the specialists, my, my folks, we went to Wentworth, which was the premier sort of cardiac, pediatric cardiac center in, the, you know, in KZN at that stage. And they said I wouldn't live to, to double digits. And my folks obviously wanted a second opinion. No parent wants to hear that about their child. Of course. And we came, to, yeah, we came down here to the Red Cross Children's Hospital and they gave exactly the same diagnosis. Um, so basically it was like, enjoy your time with her. It's not going to be a lot. Um, and funnily enough, when I was 13, I collapsed and my heart stopped beating. So if it wasn't for medical advancement and medical science and research and development, I probably that probably would have been me. I I can completely, completely understand that. What was your childhood like? I mean, as as a sickly child who uh, and now you're saying I mean you were only thirty when you could finally do the transplant. What was what was childhood like? Was there a lot of focus on you? Was there a lot of a lot of faffing around you? Please explain. No, my, my my parents weren't sort of cotton gloves, put me in a glass box kind of parents. Um, they'd both sort of had uh, rough and tough and farm upbringings um, and they believed in, in exploring and children being children and things like that. But I was always tired faster than everybody else. Um, I knew I was different right from the start because... I couldn't breathe and everyone else was running as though it wasn't affecting them because it wasn't. It was only affecting me. Um, so my, and I always pushed myself harder because I was having fun and I didn't want to be singled out. Um, but, but I was different. And when, when it comes to sport, could you participate still in sport at school? I tried my very best, but I was always lost. <laughs> 
um, yeah, and it, you know, it comes to picking teams and things like that for for catches and all sorts of things. I was always kind of no one really wanted me on their team because I was the slowest, and I always had to give up first and all of those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, eventually, eventually in primary school, I just um, I, you know, we, we <laughs> the, the PE teacher had been told that I had this condition, and because I used to push myself so hard, a lot of people didn't believe it. And this PE teacher was obviously having a really bad hair day or something. And I went to her and I said, Miss, I can't breathe. You know, can I take a break? And she flew off the handle at me and she said to me, I'm sick and tired of you um, opting out and you're just lazy and I don't want you in my class. And yeah, after that, yeah, mom, <laughs> mom went marching into the headmaster's office and tore a strip off him. And from then on, I didn't do PE. I was sitting in the library again. I was singled out. I wasn't the same as everybody else. How does it affect you as a child? It makes you desperate to want to be the same as everybody else because you you're not normal and you wish you were. And and then you you kind of then you don't want to let people in, and you kind of develop this sort of larger than life bravado. So that you look like you're normal and people think you are normal. Um, and I always wanted to be an actress, a Hollywood actress. And I think that was a testament to my, my acting skills as, as, as everyone thought I was faking when I was sick. Sure, Tina, like I have a lot going through my head and there's so much more that I want to ask you about this. Trust me, there's just... <laughs> A, a world of things that I want to ask you. But let's get to a point where now finally you could have the heart and lung transplants. At this point, you, you're quite a young adult. You've you've kind of moved past high primary school and high school. Just so you know, I was never selected for anything at school, either for sports, because I was just useless. So that was a very different situation. <laughs> <laughs> like that is very, very different. But so, so now you're a young adult and you find out that this can now finally happen. Firstly, why did it take so long? So transplant, because, um, you know, when Chris Barnard did transplants, there was no such thing as immunosuppressants. And so I don't know if you know, but that first transplant that Chris Barnard did on, um, I think his name was Kowalski, Kowalski, um, he only, that transplant was a success but he only lived for 14 days because his immune system excuse me, attacked his transplanted yes. heart yeah. and killed him because forever in a day, your immune system will see that as a foreign object. It's a different DNA to your, the rest of your body. And therefore, it's a foreign object. It needs to be attacked and killed. And so transplants became a little bit taboo. Um, and they had a moratorium on transplants. There were no transplants happening in this country at all. They had to wait for medical science to catch up and develop the immunosuppressants so that transplants could take place and be successful for years into the future and give people extra time. Um, so I, a transplant wasn't an option for me until sort of my late teens, early 20s, that those the word transplant started getting bandied about. Um, so, so, yeah, it wasn't an option until then. Um, and it was only I had a second pacemaker fitted uh, just before I turned 22. 
But I just, my heart was starting, it was in, my heart was a failure. It was starting to, to really battle. I was starting to retain fluid. I was starting to battle to breathe. I was having constant headaches. I was having memory loss. Um, yeah, and it was only at 28 years old that they put me on the transplant list because I'd lost that quality of life. So at 28 years old, and then it took about two years before the heart transplant could take place. Yes. This process of then going onto the, you know, the transplant list and then waiting, what what is that like? Exhausting. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll give you I'll give you an example. I mean, I was sleeping between eighteen and twenty hours a day. My mum was waking me up for breakfast. She was waking me up for lunch. Um, she was making sure I was awake for dinner and then we'd, I'd be awake for, for dinner and, and be with the family and watch a little bit of TV and then I'd go back to sleep. Um, I had shaved off my hair because I didn't have the energy to brush it. I was on oxygen 24-7. If I wanted to go anywhere, it was in a wheelchair. Um, my mom eventually got to the stage where she was bathing me and showering me Um yeah, I had lost a huge amount of quality of life. Um, so like I say, you have to be sick enough to even go onto the list. And then and then you wait. I mean, I remember being put onto the list and I have a diary entry where I am just, I'm over the moon. I'm so excited. I'm overjoyed because this is my chance to have more life and to maybe be normal for the first time ever. Um, you take it for granted that the wait is long. Yeah. It's really long and it's it's exhausting and it's you you living in this perpetual will I die, won't I die? Um and, and the fact is very real. If you don't have a transplant, you are. You're looking down the barrel of a gun and you are your life may end any day. Um and you you are you you living in this perpetual like waiting for the call, mm. which might never come. I mean, there's 4,000 people in South Africa at any one time waiting for an organ transplant of some kind to save their lives. And most of them don't get it. Yeah, and that, that is a very, very scary thing. And that is why we are chatting about this. We want to attract attention to this and just, it is Organ Donor Month. And how, how many years has it been since your transplant? It'll be 12 in October. This is, and I mean, it, it just because one, one thinks about it and you go, it's the longest living recipient that you almost expect it to be even longer, to be honest. And, and then you go 12 years because that is, that, is, that is good innings. 12 years is so really good. But that's the reality of it. We just need more people to go, I'm willing to become an organ donor, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, you can register, which is great, but that registry is not um, accessible by any medical facility. So the very real fact is you need to tell your family and your next of kin that that's what you want, because at the end of the day, they are the ones that speak for you when you can't speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I understand that completely. So, what would your message be to those out there available who who is considering this? What would you like to say to them? 
if you have any questions, please contact me. Otherwise, discuss it with your family. Nice, simple, very, very easy. Just consider this. Become an organ donor. Where can one go for more information? Um, you can go to my website at www.tinabealive.com.